Good morning, and welcome to Simply Finance. It's Wednesday, February 28th. On today's show, former finance minister Avraham Shokhat passes away, and a new lab launches to shift finance focus to just transition. Plus, in the finance war with the U.S., China risks staring down the barrel of a capital quandary. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Finance. We start off with a somber note today, as we report the passing of former Israeli finance minister Avraham Shochat at the age of 88. Shochat, who served as finance minister twice, first under Yitzhak Rabin and later under Ehud Barak, leaves behind a significant legacy. Here to discuss Shochat's contributions to Israel's financial landscape is James, a correspondent for Simply Finance. Can you tell us more about his impact, James? Certainly, David. Avraham Shochat was a prominent figure in Israel's financial sector. He served as finance minister twice, first from 1992 to 1996 under Yitzhak Rabin, and then from 1999 to 2001 under Ehud Barak. His tenure was marked by significant economic decisions that shaped Israel's financial landscape. And what about his life outside of the finance ministry? Shochat was a longtime resident of southern Israel and was one of the founders of Kibbutz Nahal Odds. He also served as the mayor of Arad for 20 years, demonstrating his commitment to public service. He is survived by his three children and seven grandchildren. While we've just discussed the impact of individuals like Shochat in the realm of finance, let's shift our focus to broader initiatives. The Just Transition Finance Lab, launched in London on February 20th, aims to change the way financing decisions for climate action are made, often overlooking the social opportunities and risks as well as the necessary dialogue for success. Here with us to discuss this further is Celeste, a correspondent for Simply Finance. Can you tell us more about this lab and its objectives? Certainly, David. The Just Transition Finance Lab is a joint initiative by the Grantham Research Institute on Climate Change and the Environment and the LSE. The lab aims to bring the concept of a just transition to life through research, advocacy, stakeholder engagement, and designing solutions to embed within organizations. The goal is to transform the nearly $500 trillion global financial system for a just transition, according to Nick Robbins, the executive director of the lab. Can you explain what a just transition means in this context? The International Labor Organization defines a just transition as a scenario where the social and economic opportunities of climate and environmental action are maximized while minimizing and managing challenges through effective social dialogue, stakeholder engagement, and stewardship of fundamental principles and rights at work. The lab aims to innovate around critical leverage points to drive exponential change, ensuring that the shift to a green economy includes better jobs, gender equality, community renewal, and universal access to key commodities. What are the lab's main priorities? The lab has four main priorities. These include designing and deploying financial instruments and strategies, establishing effective metrics to measure performance and impact on advancing a just transition, identifying and achieving necessary policy reforms, and stimulating breakthrough innovations with best-in-class case studies. 
The lab's work builds on the foundations of the Investing in a Just Transition initiative and the Banking on a Just Transition project. How does the lab plan to embed a just transition into net zero strategies? The lab has already worked with Scottish energy company SSE to develop a just transition strategy, which is embedded into its wider net zero roadmap. With the lab's support, SSE became the first organization globally to have a dedicated just transition strategy set out over five aspects such as green bonds, consumer fairness, and supporting communities with a subset of 20 principles. The next step is to integrate just transition factors throughout financial decision-making. What are the challenges in financing a just transition? The lab identifies several systemic challenges. One of the main obstacles is the need for a shift in mentality for social factors to become intrinsic to climate policymaking, corporate climate action, and the financing that underpins both. This requires leaders who are willing to break with finance and business as usual. How does the lab plan to address the unique challenges of different geographies? The lab recognizes the importance of a place-based context and a localized approach. It will initially focus on the UK and India, with efforts centered around place-based just transition investment plans in the UK and sustainable finance innovations that support a just transition in India. The lab also recognizes the importance of social justice, particularly for workers in the global south. What role do global debt markets play in a just transition? Global debt markets, particularly the green, social, sustainable, and sustainability-linked bond and loan market, can play a significant role in supporting a just transition. The LSE has partnered with the Climate Bonds Initiative to identify and promote the role of bond issuance in driving a just and inclusive transition to net zero across the globe. How can we advocate for and advance a just transition? Robbins believes that the just transition needs to become a bipartisan issue, with policymakers working to understand the hopes and fears of their people in terms of climate action. Then, it's the role of finance to allocate the capital at scale to where it's needed to reduce climate loss and damage and realize the huge human potential of climate action. Thanks for the insight, Celeste. In other finance news, Usual, a finance protocol, has introduced a new stablecoin, USD0, which is backed by real-world assets. The company also introduced a governance token that allows users to vote on the network's future. Here to discuss this further is our correspondent, Michael. Can you tell us more about this new stablecoin and its features? Certainly, David. USD0 is a permissionless stablecoin, which means it doesn't require permission to use or access. It's backed by real-world assets, which is a significant departure from most stablecoins that are usually pegged to the US dollar or other assets like gold. What's unique about USD0 is that holders will be rewarded with yields generated by the real-world assets backing the stablecoin. That sounds interesting. And what about the governance token? The governance token, named Usual, will be granted to members of the usual ecosystem. This token gives holders the right to vote on proposals that guide the future of the token. It's a way for the community to have a say in the network's direction. How does this fit into the broader context of stablecoin innovation? Stablecoin innovation has indeed been accelerating. For instance, Athena Labs recently launched its USD token, which it calls a synthetic dollar, not a stablecoin. Users can deposit stablecoins to receive USDE, which is then staked. The yield is generated by staking Ether to a validator and earning 5% on the capital, 
as well as shorting Ether futures to capture the funding rate, estimated at above 20%. Usual's approach with USD0 and USUAL is another example of this ongoing innovation. Who is behind this initiative? Usual is led by CEO Pierre Person, a former politician and member of the French National Assembly who spearheaded the country's crypto asset legislation. Person believes that existing stablecoin models lack transparency and equitable value distribution, and he sees Usual as a way to address these issues. What impact could this have on the stablecoin market? By introducing a stablecoin backed by real-world assets and redistributing profits to the community, Usual could potentially address some of the current issues in the stablecoin market. It's a model that could pave the way for more transparency and equitable value distribution in the crypto space. That's certainly something to watch. Thanks, Michael. In other financial news, China is bracing for a potential finance war with the U.S., according to a former Chinese official. The anticipated interest rate cuts by the U.S. Federal Reserve could lead to a large influx of money back to China, potentially causing turbulence in the domestic financial market. Here to delve into this issue is our correspondent, Bella. Can you tell us more about this finance war and its implications? Certainly, David. Chen Wenling, a high-profile economist and former state council researcher, has warned that China must be prepared for potential U.S. capital injections following any Fed rate cuts. She believes that such a move could be tumultuous for China's already battered markets. Chen has urged for measures to prevent large-scale malicious speculation and potential disruption in the Chinese stock market. What does Chen expect for China's economy this year, given these circumstances? Despite the potential challenges, Chen expects that China's economy, the world's second largest, will be buoyed by a more vigorous capital market this year. She anticipates that foreign investors will likely return to China due to interest rate trends. However, she also warns that China should remain vigilant as it is at a financial disadvantage in competition with the U.S. What does she mean by China being contained, suppressed, and harvested? Chen suggests that China is in a state of being contained, suppressed, and harvested in the financial competition with the U.S. She points out that the status and strength of the U.S. dollar still persist and any changes in the Federal Reserve's interest rates will impact China. She also refers to the retreat of foreign investors from China in the past year as evidence of a finance war. What about the situation in Hong Kong? Chen also emphasizes the need for Hong Kong to strengthen its status as a global financial center. She believes that ensuring the safety of U.S.-listed Chinese company assets should be another priority for Beijing in the financial wrangling between the two sides. What are the potential consequences of this finance war for Chinese companies listed in the U.S. Washington has been pushing Chinese firms to delist from the New York Stock Exchange. Chen pointed to the delisting of five state-owned Chinese companies, including PetroChina and Sinopec in 2022. She warns that more companies could be forced to delist after the U.S. presidential election later this year, depending on the outcome. Are there differing views on this finance war? Yes. Some U.S.-based researchers argue that calling the situation a finance war is an overstatement. They believe that financial decoupling is a more accurate term, referring to measures that could restrict stock market listings of the other side's companies. However, they agree that any decoupling between the two big financial markets would present challenges. That was Simply Finance reporter Bella. 
shedding light on the potential finance war between China and the U.S. Thank you for your insights. And with that, we conclude our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Finance. We'll see you back here tomorrow.